And we go back to Boston right now with Celeste Katz-Marston in, well, the snowy city in Massachusetts this morning. Celeste, a very good morning to you. Good morning. How bad is it at the moment, weather-wise? It's it was bad and then it got good and it looks like it's getting bad again tomorrow. Oh, how bad is bad for Boston, which is you know a pretty cold city in winter and there's a lot of snow and I can always remember being out there once at the uh, Kennedy Library in um, whenever it was December or January and the the snow was above the the old phone box there so that's how much snow yeah. there was. Um, so uh, how bad is it going to be and how do you deal with it? Well, basically, I think we got uh, some areas of the state got close to two feet of snow. And I know when we were trying to shovel out, there was a lot of uh, drifting going on. So you'd have some areas we thought at first the driveway looked pretty good, that there wasn't much going on. It was all blowing away. But then when we got out there with the actual shovels, very different picture. So, uh, you know. Take it easy. Watch your back. Don't lift with your lift with your legs. Don't lift with your back. Uh, you know, take breaks, that sort of thing. Um, but we're looking at some sleet and freezing rain uh, going into the weekend, which will also not be fun and is scarier than snow for driving. Yeah, so exactly. that's uplifting. How scary is it for parking, though? What happens if you've got your car? Tell me about these space savers. What are they? I have no idea. Yeah, this is a thing that's kind of specific to Boston and to uh, this area. I think if you tried this uh, in New York City, where uh, I've been living for most of the past 20, 25 years, uh, it would not work out. But basically what you can do is you can clear out a spot in front of your house or near your house, and then you can put like a little safety cone, like one of those little orange safety cones that you see for road work. Uh, and you can save your spot and you can do this during snow emergencies, but then you have to take it away. So the idea is if you see one of these cones, somebody else has done the work of clearing out that spot. Don't park there. But of course, people don't always listen. And that's when it can get pretty personal. Uh, people leaving notes, getting into arguments and uh, it gets kind of rough. People are very serious in, in the Bay State about their space savers. Okay, now let's get to uh, the I find it an, a remarkable story uh, about COVID, and this is the U.S. Army. The United States Army, um, obviously, there's people in every state. They're all over the world. And they have basically said that any soldier who refuses to be vaccinated will be discharged from the Army. So do, firstly, do we know how many uh, in the Army that this might happen to? And what happens if, you know, 20% of the... The personnel are discharged. This is a. It sounds like more of a threat than you know a promise, frankly. Yeah, it sounds like they're actually going to do this. They are actually going to kick people out of the army for refusing to get the vaccine. Now you have, uh, you know, millions of depending on if you're looking at active service or. Uh, or not, there's the National Guard versus the active duty military and so on. But you have, uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people involved in the military and uh, only a few thousand so far about, I think, fewer than 4,000 people have refused to get the vaccine. Um, there are 
somewhere around 6,000 people who have a temporary exemption. Uh, it might be for a medical reason. It might be for a religious objection. But uh, from what it looks like, the people who do not have uh, an exemption to claim and just simply don't want to get the vaccine are going to get kicked out. And they're not going to be asked politely to leave. They're going to be sent on their way without any separation pay. Really? Now, I can't imagine this is going to go down well with, well, you know, it's fair to say a lot of, you know, the right wing of the political spectrum are more likely perhaps to be anti-vax and pro-military than those perhaps on the left wing. What and What's the reaction been? Well, of course, there have been uh, big protests and lots of criticism of vaccine mandates by private employers, by government employers. There are some people who don't want to get the shot, but they are vastly outnumbered by the people who have agreed to. I think yeah. a lot of people either understand that this is a way for us to, to combat the virus or they just figure it's part of the job. What am I going to do? So, you know, I don't want to lose my job. I want my pay. I want my livelihood. So I'll have to go along with it. But yeah, there's certainly people who are out there uh, very much against any kind of vaccine mandate. And in this case, they appear to be out of luck. What about the Navy and the Air Force and the Coast Guard and the Marines? Are they going to fall into line here? Yeah, I mean, as far as I understand it, this is not specific to a single branch of the of the armed forces. So we have the Army, Navy, uh, Marine Corps, Air Force, uh, the Coast Guard, uh, and the Space Force now, actually. Uh, so uh, this is this is a pretty widespread thing. But uh, I, what we are seeing right now is headlines about the Army actively moving to to eject people who will not agree to take the vaccine. That means that there's going to be an awful lot of well-trained people who know how to fire weapons suddenly on the street looking for employment. Well... Typically in this country, uh, at least for, for a while now, going into the military in an all-volunteer service, not in a draft situation, has been a pathway to actually getting better employment. You yes. learn a lot of skills, you learn discipline, uh, and so on. And so it's actually seen as a leg up in the job market. Yeah. There's also some preference given to veterans uh, in hiring. Uh, they're considered uh, you know, a particular class when it comes to hiring. So maybe these people will be at some sort of advantage. And the question becomes, are they going to be applying for work in places that also have a vaccine mandate? Sounds like um, Novak Djokovic. You know, he came out here, he wouldn't get vaccinated, he had to leave. And now it looks like, well, if you want to play anywhere, he's going to have to get vaccinated. All these people will be kicked out of the army and then have to go and get vaccinated anyway. Yeah, I think the one of the main differences there is that Djokovic can probably go without a paycheck for a week well, or two. Maybe, he, might, yes. he might be okay. Uh, this might be a different situation. Mm. All right. Is everyone, like the, the, the Joint Chiefs, they all on board with this? Yeah, I mean this is this is something that's been that's been handed down from military brass. This is a decision that's that's been made. And again, this is an all volunteer force. This is this is people have made a choice. Uh, it, and you could look at it a, a number of different ways. You could certainly look at it in terms of personal liberty, but does your personal liberty extend to perhaps being a threat to other people by uh, spreading the virus or or uh, sort of eroding military readiness, which is one of the arguments that they are making. People have to be ready to fight. They have to be ready to engage to their full abilities in, in a conflict or in any job assigned by the military. If they're not ready to do it because of an avoidable or potentially avoidable illness, that that is a problem. 
Okay. Now, the other big story, it's always a big story, when a seat opens up on the US Supreme Court. Some presidents never get the chance to name someone to the court. Other people, like the previous president, got three chances. He really should have only got one, perhaps, depending on how you look at things. But nevertheless, uh, this has happened for Joe Biden uh, with Stephen Breyer stepping down from the court. I think he's left it a little late in a way. He perhaps should have done it the first year, but he's done it in the second year of Biden's term. Uh, Joe Biden, prior to being elected in the campaign, said he would, uh, the next, if he had the chance, would nominate a black woman to the court. That didn't make everybody happy, but it seems like it's making people unhappy who see it as some kind of racism when, of course, black women were always excluded from this sort of job. And it's only when it's kind of being evened up that people think that they're being, uh, you know, left out of the situation. And Ted Cruz is one of them. Yeah, Ted Cruz, obviously. I mean, people may know him as this sort of conservative firebrand, uh, senator from Texas who ran for president, uh, got pretty far, but could not defeat Donald Trump in the in the early stages of the race, did not become the nominee uh, in 2016. But uh, Cruz is coming out and basically making an argument that you hear a lot of times when it comes to hiring or uh, selection for certain positions and race and ethnicity, which is that we should consider everybody. And that if Joe Biden, Joe Biden is leading Americans astray uh, by saying, I'm going to pick the most qualified person for this job, but it will be an an African-American woman. And he's saying, well, you know, you're telling the rest of the country, the rest of the population that isn't uh, black and female. Well, I don't care about you. I'm not interested. Um, One of the the many things that people are saying about this, uh, some people are just calling it blatant racism. Why are you even getting involved in this? Is that he didn't seem to have an issue with Donald Trump uh, promising and following through on choosing a female uh, nominee for the Supreme Court. We now have Amy Coney Barrett on the Supreme Court uh, as a result of Donald Trump's selection and his promise to go ahead and do that. So is there a double standard? A lot of people are, are asking that question. Why is why is it different for Joe Biden to do it this way when Donald Trump was able to do it that way? And ultimately, it is it is the choice of the president. He just has to get through the nomination process. And we saw what happened with uh, President Obama, who was elected for eight years as president, but was told that he only could uh, nominate someone to the Supreme Court for seven of those eight years by uh, Mitch McConnell. So um, in Australia, we break into the news or into regularly scheduled programming to uh, say what the Reserve Bank, like the Federal Reserve, has done with interest rates. Most Australians wouldn't even be able to name one person on our high court, the equivalent of the Supreme Court. Yet in the US, it's the biggest political story of the year sometimes if there's a Supreme Court justice name. Why is it such a big deal? Because it's kind of come down in some ways, what we're seeing at the moment, it's a kind of a one-issue court. It's about abortion and nothing else. Well, there are obviously there are lots of different functions and it can certainly seem that way. I would agree from the headlines that it seems that all the Supreme Court talks about is abortion, but they talk about uh, free speech. They talk about uh, employment rights. They talk about uh, same sex marriage. They talk about lots of things. They also talk about lots of things that aren't particularly wedge issues that are not particularly exciting for the American public. And those things, frankly, just don't get as much coverage. That's why you don't hear about them. But the court is doing lots and 
lots of different things taking on many cases, um, affirmative action cases, uh, college admissions, that kind of thing. And the, the, the reason why the court is so meaningful for us is that it's a lifetime appointment. So it outlasts any president, any Congress. You have people, uh, Justice Breyer, who is retiring at the end of his term this year, creating the vacancy, is 83 years old. So you have people who are serving for decades and decades on the court. So not only individual justices, but the balance of the court, uh, the weighting towards either more conservative or more liberal uh, philosophy and jurisprudence really matters to the course of the country because people look to these cases as precedent that can last a very long time, that can influence what goes on uh, at state and local level. It really, really has not only a far-reaching impact in terms of how other judges decide similar cases, but how uh, the Justice Department, excuse me, how the justice system views issues over a very, very long period of time, independent of politics, ideally. All right. Uh, we've had people suggesting Klinger on MASH. He should have refused to get vaccinated he would have been kicked out. He wouldn't have to put on dresses. One <laughs> way of putting it. Uh, Matty and Zach, by the way, are in Banff in Canada. Currently minus 14 with a wind chill of minus 22. So there you go. Uh, Rob wants to know, do you reckon Joe Biden might yet increase the number of justices? I think he's left it a bit late there, hasn't he? Yeah, I mean, this is something that we've talked about packing the court or extending the, you know, expanding the size of the court. I think this is something that is really, really, really big deal. Many presidents have talked about it. Uh, it hasn't been done in a while, although the number of justices wasn't always the same. You're the you're the American history scholar. You can probably tell me the last time the uh, uh, the composition of the court has changed. But um, I think that uh, this is something that's sort of always out there, always yeah. being bandied about. It's not imminent. Well, I think I've, we may have mentioned before that uh, there was a threat under Franklin Roosevelt to increase it, and there were nine judges, and a switch in time saved nine, that they changed their view and they voted the way that he wanted them to do it, so to kind of save their jobs. Uh, now, Celeste Katzmaston is our guest in Boston. There's a big story um, for the media, and that is CNN. Uh, the president of CNN, Jeff Zucker, now I... I knew his name when he was running the Today Show, the NBC Today Show, and really made big stars out of um, Katie Couric and Matt Lauer. Uh, he has kind of stepped down from running CNN. And in this Me Too age, it's not because he's done anything wrong necessarily. He just didn't say that he was in a relationship with someone who also worked at CNN. She is not resigning, but he has. Yeah, this has kind of gotten complicated. It's gone down a real rabbit hole, and this all goes back to, well, I, I guess partially at least, it goes back to the sort of the Cuomo brothers saga. Uh, Chris Cuomo had been in some trouble for advising his brother, Andrew Cuomo, the former governor of New York, on how to deal with a sexual harassment okay, scandal. Okay, Chris Cuomo uh, is a star on CNN, we should point out. Yes, yes, he is an anchor on CNN. It was an anchor on CNN uh, who has since been fired because it came out that he had behaved towards people in a uh, sexually uh, inappropriate way. Uh, he'd been engaged in some uh, misconduct, untoward behavior. But this was a widespread internal investigation within CNN. And during this time, it came up that the president, Jeff Zucker, as you mentioned, um, had been involved in 
relationship with a colleague uh, who, since he was the president, I think basically everybody was his subordinate, that he had not disclosed. It was a consensual relationship that went on for a long time. I believe, uh, you can check this, but I believe both uh, he and the woman involved were divorced. Yep, so, um, but he did not disclose it. It wasn't necessarily that he couldn't do it. It's just that he had to make it known to somebody, I guess the human resources department, the hiring department or something, uh, just to reveal that uh, this relationship existed because it could have shaped behavior in the workplace or what if the relationship had gone bad and then um, one of the parties claimed they had been mistreated or uh, were afraid of being mistreated because of this and so on. It's just the sort of thing that you get on record. Anyway, he didn't do that, and as a result, yes, he has resigned, but uh, the woman in question, who weirdly enough used to work for Andrew Cuomo yes. at some point, Very briefly. Uh, is is sticking around, but it, it does show the sort of the domino effect that, mm. that you do see in, in the Me Too era, but at the same time, this could have happened at any other time uh, if something was revealed that should have been revealed yes. earlier. He will have no difficulty finding a job elsewhere at another media outlet. This is not a. I mean, it's, it's embarrassing for him, perhaps, and he's going to have to, you know, put his hand up and perhaps say, "Well, I did the wrong thing by not revealing it, or not, at least not telling, you know, the board or whatever uh, that uh, that this was going on." But you'd think he's not going to have any difficulty. Well, I think that at the very, very least, he will have some time to and yes. some options. I, I don't. I am not his personal accountant, but I would have to yes. uh, sort of guess that Jeff Zucker is not immediately headed to a food pantry for his next no. meal. All right, uh, a gardening leave we call it here. And uh, finally, just uh, with some local politics in Massachusetts, you know, it, it always votes for the most part, Democrat at presidential level. And it used to, and at the Senate level as well, uh, and it used to always uh, return, well, for a long time, Democratic governors, but not for a long time, in fact. Uh, you've always had a Republican governor for quite a while, and whew, there's an election coming up, I presume, this November in um, Massachusetts. And who's going to win, do you think? Well, right now, the leader, uh, according according to what we've seen in terms of public polling and so on, is the attorney general, the state attorney general. Her name is Maura Healy, uh, is a Democrat. But we do have somebody coming up uh, since our current governor, Charlie Baker, has decided not to run for re-election. Baker is a moderate Republican, uh, pretty popular, even in tough times like coronavirus and the related economic difficulties. But there is a sort of Trumpian Republican now running for governor, which is very interesting, as you say, considering how Massachusetts politics usually works. Uh, interestingly enough, there has been uh, a history in Massachusetts in, in recent memory of uh, rather moderate Republican governors, Charlie Baker, uh, for one, certainly Mitt Romney is probably the best known, uh, you know, outside the state, the best known former governor of Massachusetts. Uh, again, very moderate Republican, uh, did sort of uh, more universal type health care in this state called Romney care. But this guy, Jeff Deal, is like a real Trumper. And he's hired a former member of the Trump team, a guy named Corey Lewandowski, who is sort of uh, known for his own special reasons uh, to help him out with this. So it'll be interesting to see if he can pull it off right now. It doesn't look like he's got a huge chance of doing it, but he is mm. 
unapologetically Trumpian, and okay. this is something we watch for now in future exactly. cycles. Exactly. Well, especially in Massachusetts. Boy, if a uh, Trump supporter can win there, that would give uh, <laughs> President ex President Trump a tremendous fillip for, you know, two years from now or three years from now. Whew. Thank you so much, um, Celeste. We will talk to you again in a couple of weeks. I Stay out of that snow. <laughs> Thanks so much. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Celeste Katzmarston in Boston. And again, apologise for the problems we're having with Skype. We will try and do something about that.